0: Hello and welcome yet again to another episode of Happy Hour Live with Brian Rosen. We are neither live nor we are an hour, but we are indeed happy. Uh, today, I have an old friend on, a guy I've known for, what, Gerald, five, six years at least?
1: At least, and yeah, in your yeah. family, much longer.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so <laughs> Gerald O'Conard is the epicenter of wine, beer, and spirits, and I'll let him explain why, but I can't think of a more important guy coming out of COVID, Gerald, for real. The ratings piece, coming out of COVID, I can't think of a more important guy that really makes the industry go. So keep in mind, we have about 35,000 people that download this. So, you know, I'm not Joe Rogan, but I'm also uh, not my daughter's Cocoa podcast either. Somewhere in the... (laughs) Somewhere in the middle. So tell us about tastings.com and why people should know about you for sure. Well, thanks,
1: Brian. I really appreciate this, and it's great to see you. Um, so we're the Beverage Testing Institute. We've been around for a long time, since 1981. Um, we started with the crazy idea of doing the first uh, a wine competition in the United States. So we did that. Our founder started that in uh, New York, and we moved the business to Chicago in the 80s. We started doing spirits and beer reviews and cider and meat and sake and everything that has alcohol in it in the mid 90s and we decided to s- stop writing for other publications and sort of being the back end for places like wine enthusiasts and wine and spirits in the 90s and start our own publications we had a magazine for a while um and then uh, that didn't go too well but um <laughs>
0: i hear i hear, I hear print is making a comeback
1: Print is making a comeback, so we're thinking about it. But we launched tastings.com in the late 90s. It was we were actually the first people to publish alcohol reviews online, and so we carried over that legacy and that technology to our own site, did for ourselves, and we've been going strong since then. So basically, what we do is here in Chicago, we run uh, panels of experts who are usually buyers in the in the trade, and they join us on blind tasting panels to rate and review and taste. Uh, wines, beers, and spirits from all over the world. We open these kind of mm-hmm. open-ended competitions and reviews, um, and people submit their products. We review about five thousand products a year, publish those reviews on tastings.com, and uh, let consumers know what you know the experts think, so they can better inform their buying decisions.
0: You know, it's it's funny. So that's a that's a very long textbook, wonderful answer. But for but <laughs> but, but but I will tell you that the reason why. It, your job is the most critical job in the wine business I feel or adult beverage business in general is because you give scores mm-hmm. and you give reviews and you give ratings and scores reviews and ratings are how the American shopper shops yeah. and Sorry. so and I remember when when I was CEO of Sam's we would have we invested millions of dollars in systems that would scrape the internet at the time for, Oh, actually I remember pre that we'd have to type them in like by hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was very time consuming. And then I remember we would scrape the web for reviews and many of the reviews or the ratings were from you. Mm. Did not yeah. know that. Okay. No, we, we, I mean, it, it, it was, it was really a shit show. Cause we had to employ people to retype the review <laughs> because it would print out on a shelf tag. But the funny thing about the American consumer, and this is, is that from a wine consumer, so the American consumer knows about 10 brands. That's it. We know more, obviously, Gerald, because we're in the business, right? We get it. We know the game. But the American consumer knows 10, 10 brands, maybe by category. If you you want to bet someone, you know, to my listeners, you want to bet someone, 50 bucks to name 20 brands of wine, or 20, you'll, you'll make an easy 50. Yep. It, it, it just doesn't exist. So the ratings piece, the review piece, um, what you do is really the decision maker for a lot of consumers.
1: Right, and there's so many choices out there, and that's the thing, it's how do you make a choice? What, what do you rely on to help you? And people need a way to, to figure all that out, right? There's just too many choices. And that's a, real, that's a real attraction for why people come to the site. We've been, you know, doing reviews for so long that Google recognizes us as an authority we've got great traffic and people basically hit our site real quick. They're, they're looking for something. They want to know what the rating is. They get on, they get off. And we provide that service for consumers. And on the, on the trade end, for our trade clients that, that do business with us, we've totally retooled everything. We've created a trade portal where they can upload links to their e-commerce sites for all of their reviews. It can be multiple ones. They can download their logos. They can download their POS, shelf talkers, all the stuff that we have pre-formatted for them so they can go out there and sell and use those ratings. So we've recognized the value of that.
0: So is the business morphed because of COVID or was it morphing pre-COVID or how have you adjusted? I mean, you and I talk, I don't know, Frequently by some standards and frequently by others, but, but I know that if, if you are now scrape, if you're now the back office for multiple websites from a ratings and review standpoint, then that's a pivot for sure from, Printing magazines fifteen sure. years ago. So how is yeah. COVID? Is COVID expedited a pivot for you, or is it just? It a, has. You know,
1: it has. It's presented a lot of opportunities, and it's made us rethink, you know, the fundamentals of the service and what the value proposition is for our clients. So one thing that happened immediately is we, um, we decided, okay, we have to concern ourselves with the safety of all the people that are coming in here so we completely redid our tasting lab we made it COVID compliant in terms of moving things apart putting up plexiglass screens um having certain protocols that other uh, evaluation labs around the country had to put in place we put those things in place so just just because we wanted our panelists to be safe but as a result of that you know uh, about a month after we did that we came back in the office in, in the fall of last year we started getting calls from people that were like hey, we can't do our wine competition anymore. Do you have any idea how we could do that? Can you help us? So we got calls from different states, different EVAs. So we actually discovered a whole new business model for ourselves and helping people out during this time. So we actually executed a large uh, wine competition called the New York Wine Classic. We just wrapped that up last week uh, for New York State you know this is a state that has been running this competition for 30 years and they needed yeah. a solution so now we're we're offering that solution to other states other countries that are looking to have their um you know these these competitions and these these uh, events that they can't execute them safely so yeah. it's whole new business for
0: us so for for the listener i think it's important to understand kind of how this goes down you would you know let's just we'll assume covid times and non covid times are relatively the same you'd mail you'd mail your goods to bti or tastings.com and they would you can either now correct me if i'm wrong you can either uh pay a fee and be judged alone or you can be or you can pay a fee and be judged at the time you're judging that category right right and then what you get is a score a point total and you and that becomes you know then from that I know we referred plenty of clients to you, suppliers from, mm-hmm. from BevStrat. You, from that, you get um, the ability to make marketing materials, the ability to make uh, neckers and shelf talkers. Right. So now let's, let's talk about it in, in the framework of COVID. In COVID, I'll give you my own, my own experience, having traveled throughout the country during this uh, relatively shitty time. You go into a store, you have five minutes to make a decision for your, for your whole basket. In the, the old days of browsing and walking a store for an hour, looking at labels and looking at um, uh, asking for help from a, a wine steward or whatever, those are gone right now. Yeah. You you go in, so how do you shop, right? You you go, oh, I'll take, here's a 90 point Pinot Noir, Here's an 88-point Chardonnay, whatever it is, and that's how you're buying. So the work that you're doing is arguably the the work of the Lord. This is like that. I mean, this is is savior work. You're saving. No, I mean, no bullshit. You're saving brands. You're doing a job for them that no longer it can be done by itself because of COVID. Mm -hmm.
1: No, I think we're really... Uh, positioning ourselves to be that authority. I mean, we've, we've been doing wine spears and spheres for so long enough, be, you know, retailers are coming to us saying, hey, can you um, help us in terms of rating and reviewing products that are their exclusives, which we've never, you know, really had that. The retailers as a customer base or client base before, and now we're seeing things from a lot of the big box retailers that need these scores too, because they recognize that they need these things. And if they don't get it fast enough from the suppliers, they're coming straight to us sometimes. So that's been great to work with these, you know, Costco and Aldi and all of these guys to um, to help them out.
0: Do you have um, we call it a little bit of survivor's guilt? People that are successful during COVID, you know, mm. um, and this is not about COVID because COVID hopefully is ending relatively soon, and soon is right. a relative soon is a relative term, right? Sure. Right. But has y- your business gotten better through COVID?
1: I, you know, it's one of those things. We were we were working so hard to, to, in our impression, to stay afloat last year, that we didn't realize that we had one of our most successful years ever last year. Yeah, I mean, that that was it. You know,
0: hashtag first world problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which is like, you know, we we were. We were, you know, surprised and we were working out of the office for a long time. So, you know, I'm watching the numbers and everything. But as as you look at some of these other service lines that were coming on and some of these other clients that were stepping up, you know, there were certain segments of our client base that, that were having a really tough time, like the breweries, for instance, they got clobbered. So we saw those numbers decline, but we saw other things in spirits. We saw more participation from retail. We saw more consultations for people developing new brands ready getting their ducks in a row when this is over to launch. So a lot more of that kind of business we saw. And it was a very good year. And um, you know, a knock on wood for this year that it, that that we still have that kind of momentum. So we were actually kind of at the end of the year when we're looking at the numbers like, wow, we actually did okay. I mean, we were just surprised. We just seemed to be terrible, but it turned out to be a good year.
0: Yeah, so I think the lesson there is either A, look at your numbers more frequently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and right. on, a more, on a more regular basis, that That's the financial lesson. Um, do you think that, and I ask this question to a lot of the people that come on the show, do you think, well, I'll tell you my opinion, but let me ask you yours first. Do you mm-hmm. think that pot, cannabis, mm-hmm. that there's ever going to be a CBD infused or a THC infused product that's worthy of all the hype?
1: Oh, sure. I think that's coming. I mean, you know, we, we've we've consulted on people that are actually developing these things and kind of given our two cents. We haven't done a, a full blown project yet, but um, I, I just think that's inevitable. I, I mean, there's a lot of things to to factor into CBD and THC products, namely the bitterness and the, the dankness and skunkiness is, is sort of inherent in, in the oils and the extracts that we've seen. But I'm sure someone's going to figure out a way to, to kind of get it to more neutral base, where it's more like malt alcohol and You know, it's just another ingredient that that can be processed. But yeah, I think that's coming. I I was, you know, I thought you were going to ask me about the competition between spirits and and the THC products. We haven't seen any evidence of that. We've seen like an expanding pie for for both categories. So we don't know where that limit is and where the cannibalization will take place between those two categories. But we haven't seen that yet. I don't know if you've seen
0: it. Yeah, well, I I am going to ask it, but you gave your answer already. You said you have not seen cannibalization yet, and I will share with you that this is what we feel. We feel that high-end spirits, wine, and beer, high-end, craft is an overused word, but high-end, you can use the word expensive, you can use the word rare and allocated, those categories will not be affected. Mm -hmm. I think that Miller Lite, Bud Light, Mick Ultra, you know, Tito's, Stoli, Absolute, Svedka, Luxnova, Beam, Jack, you know, all these kind of mid-tier commoditized brands will be affected because the consumer has got to make a choice between getting high or getting drunk at that level. That's the fact. That's the fact, you know, at that level, at that $15, $20 a bottle level, because sure. at, at that point, they're, they're, not, they're not having a Jack Daniels because Jack is so extraordinary They're having a Jack Daniels to get a buzz. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes really an interchangeable high. Mm -hmm. Weed or this commoditized brand. Now, when you get into like the the goods behind me, which no one can see, but you get into these goods behind me, et cetera, that's a more crafted item. It's an aged bourbon or a fine burgundy or what have you. Mm -hmm. And then you get in that world and I don't think there's going to be any sort of shrink at all. What say you on that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think those those particular categories have more baked in brand loyalty and category loyalty. I would agree with you on that. I'm, I'm just curious about like the generational shifts. I think about my son who's 23 and does not drink and some of his friends that, um, you know, kind of what are they drinking? What are they consuming for pleasure? And, I, you know, I wonder about that generation in terms of alcohol and if that's where we see the pivot and maybe they they prefer something that is more... THC-like or that is more neutral in the way they they, they bring it into their bodies and they don't feel it has any harmful effects, that kind of thing. So I I think the jury is out long term as far as how these lines are drawn in the sand. But for right now, I I totally agree with you. I'm concerned, too, about like education, like people being intimidated by categories and not wanting to, and not understanding them and just like walking away. That's been the perennial problem for wine, you know, in terms of how people onboard to wine, they think, oh, that's too complicated for me. I want something simple. I want to go yeah. and have Jack and Coke or whatever That's Bur- That's
0: Burgundy's problem right in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or, or a French wine label. That's their problem in a nutshell. They can't, the, the labels are so, they're standardized. So if you understand them, you understand them. But if you don't understand them, you're choosing Kendall Jackson Cabernet instead.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I wonder about the onboarding of, of, of the latest generations to that situation. It's interesting you mentioned France. I mean, we've seen a big uptick in, in interest in our services from France, and we're, we're, we're pleasantly surprised by that. We think a lot of them are, are these less traditional producers that, um, that are looking to, to get into the U.S. market now that the tariff thing looks like it's going to be settled and want to present a different kind of proposition for what French wines are, and I, I think that's exciting that they're recognizing that there's this barrier and they want to get around it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, it's, I was on a call this morning and there are, there's containers of products sitting out in the Pacific and the Atlantic, because they can't get warehouse or dock space. Mm. So, you you know, because when the previous administration put together the tariffs, it forced everyone to come over prematurely, right? Mm -hmm. So So to send over wine from the EU in advance of the tariff hitting, at the same exact time COVID hit. Right. So the docks shut down. Mm. So you can, and that, that's what's happening. So, what you're seeing now, and I had a call on this this morning, as I said, is you're seeing warehouse space go exponentially higher. Mm-hmm. And prices then of these goods when they land are gonna go higher. It's right. gonna push the consumer to American items. Mm-hmm. And there was also an article yesterday that, unrelated but related, that bourbon exports are down 50%. Sure. Because of the, the export tax.
1: The reciprocal tariffs. Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- in my eyes, there may even be a surplus of American bourbon in this country because the ability to sell it in Europe it prices it out of the out of the market. Mm-hmm. Now we live in a capitalist capitalistic world, so chances are independents are just gonna or suppliers and, and importers are just gonna raise the price. Correct. Right. But these are uneasy times, for sure. So let me – that's good insight, for sure. Thank you. Um, We play a game here on the show. All right. uh, And it's called um, Drink It or No Thanks, I'll Pass. Okay. And and what we do with that is um, I recommend – I talk to you about a topic, or I recommend a topic, and you say, Drink It is – I'm into it. I like it. I think it. It's got a future in the around, future, not you necessarily, but a future. Mm-hmm. A pass would be, you know, limoncello flavored tequila. Right? <laughs> okay. It, you know. <laughs> so so you, we're clear on the ground rules.
1: Understood. Yeah. Fun.
0: Talk to me about non alk Drink it, or I'll take a pass.
1: Oh, drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it. I, I think you know. Literally for me, that's a thing. I'm looking at all the. The, you know, to cut down on some calories, lose a little weight. So now I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm having a little too much alcohol. What are some non-alcoholic alternatives? And you know, whether it's Lagunitas Hoppy Water or non-alcoholic beer or whatever it is, I'm, I'm a consumer. And I, like I said, you know, my son and, and his friends—they're looking at that category too. So I think that's that's very on trend.
0: It's interesting that we're looking at some brands here ourselves, and non-alc is a trend. The question really is, is it? It's a micro sliver of a sliver, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how big does it get? But it's interesting. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of purchases in the last couple of weeks or, or uh, investments in non-alk spirits. A just launched one this week. Uh, Kettle One, I think, did the same. So there's a lot of non-alk uh, attention. Um, canned RTD, drink it or no thanks, I'll pass.
1: Drink it. Again, we just finished up our first review of cans, cans of all types, canned wine, you know, canned cider, canned cocktails, very successful we had a big response a lot of interest in the reviews um i I think it's here to stay for a while i do Mm
0: -hmm. okay half bottles
1: half bottles um yeah that's all that's almost a parlay i think i would say pass because i think people are into value and i think people are into stocking up still in that kind of mode and i don't think the half bottle represents that i think half bottles are actually quite not small enough. I think what's interesting now is I've seen some of our our retail friends and partners get into virtual tastings where they're they're doing, you know, smaller bottles. So I think that's maybe the kind of application for for half bottles is for people that are that are sort of experimenting and and trying virtual tastings before they buy maybe half bottles or even smaller sizes. So I okay. think that's kind of what but- that's about.
0: The, I think it, it was it's some Hollywood celebrity, and I, I, I'm going to mess up on the name, so I'm not going to say the name. If you can't drink a bottle of wine in one sitting, you shouldn't open the bottle of wine at all. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's, <laughs> it's something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have w- one more for you, and we talked about THC uh, a little bit earlier. Do you think that the beverage industry – And that's why, obviously, um, Constellation bought a pot company in Canada and why Breakthrough bought a distribution up in Canada. Do you think that the three-tier system is perfectly situated to to be the regulatory body of cannabis being sold at retailers?
1: I do. I do. I think it's a a logical, easy entry kind of choice to the thing as opposed to setting up a whole new system. You know, I, I, I don't. I don't know, you know, from the grower supplier standpoint, you know, I've never, I haven't talked to one. I haven't seen what their perspective on this. If they're looking for that kind of partnership, or if they think that it should be a different kind of system, mm-hmm. um, I don't quite have the the resources and. and uh, knowledge to, to speak to, to that side of the equation, but it does make a lot of sense from an economic standpoint, just looking at it in the abstract. To Say, yeah, if you yeah. want to plot in another kind of controlled substance with, there's already a mechanism in place and with distribution to all of the places where people would buy it, so why not?
0: Yeah, I don't disagree, and I think that, again, if, if you're the, some of the, the big distributors in the game, you've got a full-on pot business somewhere, either, <clears throat> either public or private, where you're angling for exactly what we said to mm-hmm. for that low tier consumption pattern, you, you're ready to roll, and and I think that instead of reinventing the wheel, the U.S. government, if it's if if weed's going to become federally regulated or mm-hmm. federally approved, there, there's only two businesses that are set up that are federally uh, regulated. One is the alcohol beverage business, right? right, and the other is is guns. That's it. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah. So, <laughs> So I don't want to be a naysayer, but I don't think the gun business and the pot business go together. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. You know, call me crazy. I do think that weed and adult Bev are naturally synergistic. And I think that the, big, the bigs, Southern and Breakthrough, are angling themselves for a share of that pie.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I totally agree. Totally
0: yeah. agree. Hey, man. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Brian, this is fun. Please, I I love this. Thank you. Yeah,
0: no, I'm glad you were on too. Let me um, let thank you to uh, to Gerald and and how can they get a hold of you if they want to send their wines in? If they want to be part of the great work you're doing?
1: Well, thank you. I think they should just go to our website bevtest b e v t e s t dot com, and uh, they'll find all the information about all of our services there.
0: Yeah, good. And I'll and I'll tell you something. I've used you. I've referred you clients for years and you do great work. I'm glad, you came I'm glad you came on the show, Graham, and uh, thanks for playing the game. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely a pleasure. Good seeing you, Brian. Take care.
0: Good seeing you.